Welcome to the GBC Big Three podcast, a weekly podcast where we sit down and unpack three big questions raised from our Sunday sermon. I'm your host, Matt Willis, and joining me as co-host this week in what I can only describe as the pinnacle of a winter cardi is the always delightful Mark Coleman. Mark, where have you been? What are you doing? Tell me something about your life. Um, Enjoying appropriately catching up with a few good friends now so yeah um we we had hung out with some friends at the weekend and i enjoyed a little bit of travel <laughs> and a roast dinner in someone else's home oh nice yeah. but you know what has stirred up in me in this whole like restrictions are starting to ease is the awkward like do we hug? Do we not hug? Do we shake hands? My father-in-law actually like totally shut me down yesterday. I went into their house and went to shake his hand and he just shook his head at me. <laughs> Didn't even say anything, just moved his head away. And I was just like, I don't know. It's creating in me such social anxiety. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Well, we've got to be socially distant. I know, so. I know, but I'm so needy. It's yeah, hard. It's hard. It is so hard. Oh gosh, reading the room. It's a skill. It is such a skill. And joining us also in the preacher's chair this week is Roxanne Lawler. Now, Roxy, you kind of turned tables on Sunday and turned the sermon into a bit of a Q&A session. <laughs> what, what inspired this change of events? A Q&A with myself. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about um, the topic was just so meaty, right? Um, it, was it was It was full on. I love how they give the, the random kids person <laughs> the most Hey, he's like 38 part. verses. Yeah, yeah. Here you go. You know, do <laughs> Work that, that out. Yeah. <laughs> Throw a puppet in there if you can. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, um, I figured a, a great way to do that is just to unpack it a little bit and ask questions that I thought maybe you would you would ask when you were coming to that passage for the first time. So just wanted to make it easy for people to, to slide in and to get some understanding around that. And yeah. yeah, so I think it worked. And also because we're doing things online, Matt, like I just didn't want to stand there and yabber on. I wanted to <laughs> change it up a bit visually as yeah, well. Yeah, nice. Yeah, oh, I up. loved it. Like I said, it was yeah. great stuff. Yeah. Now this week, Roxanne spoke on the power of an indestructible life as part of our series in the book of Hebrews titled Anchor. And you can listen to that message again through our regular GBC Sermons podcast. But today, as always, we'll be unpacking three big questions submitted through Slido during our Sunday services. So guys, let's get into the big three. Now, as we lead into question one, I've got to start with a bit of a confession. Uh, When it comes to my spiritual practice of opening up scriptures, I've kind of let the Old Testament stay where the Old Testament lies. You know, when it comes to, um, you know, the temple and the sacrificial system and this whole idea of the Levitical priesthood, I'm kind of like, well, Jesus came and kind of turned everything on its head. So a little bit like why bother like I don't really need to know that too much and then we come to a passage like what you unpacked for us on Sunday Rocks in Hebrews and the author is just using that Old Testament imagery and language to put Jesus in context kind of point at who he is and what his role is and all of a sudden my um, lack of understanding of that Old Testament tradition kind of (laughs) shines even brighter because it it makes it hard for me to fully grasp then, well, what is the author trying to say about Jesus? And one of those, you know, 
Old Testament ideas that really came forward is this idea of the priesthood and the line of Levites that, you know, out of the 12 tribes of Israel, it was the the Levites who the priesthood stemmed out of. And I, I thought it would be really helpful, you know, we had a number of people kind of ask about, well, what does this mean? Why is this important? Why do I care? Um, and that's ultimately exactly what question number one is. What is the significance of the Levitical lineage within the Old Testament when it comes to the priesthood? So, Rox, I'll start with you first. Yeah, thanks for that great big question, Yeah, yeah, Matt. just, you know, just casually, <laughs> hey. Just casually, yeah. Um, look, I think um, just here, your first point about the significance of the Old Testament, I just want to dig into that just for a second. Yep. Um, I love how Messianic Jews, which are Jews who believe in Jesus, mm. they don't call it the Old Testament. They actually call it the First Testament. Mm. Um, and it's just to reframe that it's actually so foundational. You know, everything in the new is built on the first, right? Yeah. Um, so there, there is value. Let me encourage uh, whoever's listening <laughs> and yourself and me, <laughs> preach to myself here, to, to dig into the First Testament mm. because it is really um, – it is um, – the, the foundation of what we know from from Jesus, and you can see this in this in this passage about yeah, the absolutely. Levites, right? Um, so, as you are probably aware, there was twelve tribes of Israel, mm. and God had promised the nation of Israel this promised land, and they were going to take this land. And it's uh, we've preached through Joshua, which was yeah. the Israelites going into the land yep. and settling, and finally they're you know taking up the promise of God. Um, and these twelve tribes were released into the land, but but one of the tribes was. Um, the Levites, and they were not given an allotment of land in the same way that the other 11 tribes were. Mm. The whole um, other 11 tribes, you know, they portioned out, you know, little sections and and they got to farm and and to grow, but the Levites didn't get that. They were given um, instead a task, a role, and they were to be the tribe that was going to intercede between Israel and Mm. and God. Mm. They had to um, look after the tabernacle and later on the temple. Uh, They had to offer all the sacrifices. And um, God actually says that for the Levites, the Lord himself is their inheritance. So instead of getting land, they get God and they get this relationship with God. Mm. Um, And so I guess in, in the people of Israel... The, the Levitical tribe, the Levites, had this really special role, this intimacy with God, this responsibility of, of showing to the rest of the people how to have a relationship with God, how to get close to God. Though, And um, and so they, I guess they were kind of like, um, Mark often talks about the idea of um, the show home. I don't know if you've mm, ever heard him yeah, preach yeah. on this, you know, when you go to those, um, those houses in the estates and you look around and you think, oh, I could live here. Yep. And he talks about how... Israel in the in the Old Testament was a bit like a show home mm. um, um, for the rest of the world, you know. Like here's how you meant to live in obedience and relationship with God. Yeah, um, you've you might have heard him him preach on that kind of thing before. Mm. Well, the Levites were a bit like a show home for the rest of Israel. Yeah, right. So just like um, just like Israel was a show home, a demonstration of the rest of the world. The Levites were a show home for. Um, yeah, for the rest of Israel, this is how you live, this is how you intercede, this is how you be yeah. at one with God. Um, so I find that that kind of interesting. But but for me, I think um, it's it's interesting and, it, and it's great to know and it points us to Jesus. But for me, the bigger question is, well, what does that mean for us? Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, like, yay, the Levites. Yeah, that's awesome. This. I'm not a Levite. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> and, and Jesus has kind of superseded that anyway. Yeah. Um, he's in a different order, as we heard on Sunday, the yep. order of Melchizedek, right? Um, hence so, my why bother hence comment your before. Why bother. <laughs> um, and so there's this, there's this great passage in, in 1 Peter that, um, that we go on to read in. It's like 1 Peter chapter 2. 
verse 9. Mm. And it says this about us as Christians, us as believers. And it says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, mm. God's special possessions, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Mm. And that language there of, of us as Christians being this royal priesthood, that we're yeah. going to be the same um, show home, the same demonstration mm. for the world, like we are the ones now who mediate. Yeah. So we're not kind of Levites, but we do that same functional role. Yeah. We are the ones who take that on and who mediate and tell the world, you know, this Jesus you know, this is how you become friends with God. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, it's that is stuff. awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. Great stuff. Common, what do you have to throw in on this <laughs> a small, theological <laughs> A small idea. nugget. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, just kind of harking back to the, the question about Le- Levi, the tribe of Levi, and, mm. you know, and, and, you know, really not heaps more to add than Rox has kind of described, but, you know, just... Uh, there's some discussion amongst kind of scholarly writings around this that um, that the Levi, the tribe of Levi, was tr- was chosen for this kind of um, priesthood role, mm. uh, priestly role, because of their faithfulness uh, to kind of coming back to God after the golden calf incident uh, with Moses up the mountain, and and actually they were the kind of the first to say, oh, hang on, yeah, we recognise that we've made a mess in Exodus 32. <laughs> yeah. and, um, and, uh, but actually, if you kind of look and dig a bit further, you discover that the priests, you know, the tribe of Levi were actually designated as priests a little bit earlier, kind of mm. around about chapter 27. So, um, so e- even that is kind of not, not quite clear. But, um, but I think kind of what's essential, and, and, and Rox has obviously touched on this, is that, um, you know, these were a people who were set, ab- set apart mm. and they were, um, you know, uh, as Brock's described, that kind of God was their inheritance rather than the land. Mm. Um, and so absolutely, it was reinforcing this idea that um, these were a people who were sustained and upheld mm. by, by God. And also, you know, kind of this idea, I think, of being set apart um, is there too. And, and we talk about, uh, particularly in relation to sacrifices, we talk about... Um, you know, animals that were set apart for a specific purpose, mm. you know, the sacrificial lamb or, uh, you know, or the, the firstborn animal. And, and, uh, and I think that there's a parallel there of this idea that the tribe of Levi, Levi were those that were, were set apart um, specifically for this purpose of kind of mediating yeah. this relationship between God's people and, and God. Mm. Um, but I think th- that whole idea of them being a kind of a show home to mm. to the rest of the people you know god's people is actually it's really helpful really helpful way of us understanding that um you know they were people who were invited to lead the rest of god's people in in a way of of living life in engagement with god mm. and i think you know absolutely it's really helpful to think of well, what does that mean for us now and yeah. you know and whilst we as a priesthood aren't mediating a relationship between you know um, God and and humanity, mm. we are a people who who kind of offer that invitation, and we are showing what yep. it means yep. to kind of to live that life, mm. and uh, and and that is our responsibility as our kind of witness in the world, really. Yeah, great. I love that. Two things really stood out to me. The the first is this idea of um, that 
their inheritance was God and not land. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, it's, it just sparked in me that thought of we're called to be in the world, not of the world. Like we are called to have our eyes fixed on things that are eternal, that come from God and not what the world promises, not mm. what you can attain so here, good, but actually can attain <laughs> yep. heavenly. And I love that. So again, there's mm. that sense of, um, yeah, that there's, that there's a, an invitation to that once again, what Jesus offers is better, which has been a reoccurring theme in Hebrews. And then the second thing um, was that this whole idea of that we are all a priesthood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was all the tribe of is of of Levi that that was welcomed into that inheritance. And so we, it's not just, you know, it's not just staff members or people who are in ministry leadership. It's all of us. If we are, if you declare that you're a follower of Jesus, then you become a part of that priesthood. And therefore your role in that is to be this, Mm. this example. And so it's, it's really like, it's a call for all of us, um, not just, you know, the, the chosen, as mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, you can hear that mentality of, um, oh, like, oh, no, that, that's not my role. It's like, well, yeah, actually, yeah, no, it is, it is. <laughs> and one, I think one other thing I would add to that is that, you know, as well, we're, we're all called into this kind of Levitical role. And, mm. and, and actually then there's something for us to take very seriously. And, you know, the book of Leviticus is kind of connected. Uh, and, and all of... And I, th- I love what Rock said about, you know, kind of First Testament because, you know, whilst we can read things in the Old Testament or the First Testament mm. and, and feel quite distant from them, you know, like the, um, the tribe of Levi, Levi were uh, in this role, in this position of mediating mm. relationship between God and humanity, were called to very stringent standards of yeah. kind of purity. Mm. And, and, and I think, you know, whilst Jesus has done the full work of kind of cleansing us, that there is something in there for us to recognize. Actually, God is calling us to a degree of purity because what we are doing is witnessing this relationship to the world. And so um, so actually diving back into the First Testament and looking at things in Leviticus and thinking, okay, you know, what is, what is being requested, required mm. of, of me as a follower of Jesus in this kind of Levitical role mm. uh, um, you know, now in the 21st century. um, And and what does that mean for how I live out my life? Mm. Important challenge for us, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Fair to say I feel convicted that I need to spend some time in the Old Testament now. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Well, let's move on to question two. So, Rox, in this passage that you unpacked for us on Sunday, there was this, I guess, this practice that stood out for me that... I guess it raises questions, hence why it's in the big three. Um, And I think it's something that we don't really talk about that often. It was this, the mention of the giving of a tenth or a tithe. You know, Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek as a a tribute, as a sign of honor to him. And when I first heard that language, I guess the thing that stood out for me now, you know, current context is the whole practice of, you know, weekly offering, you know, the basket going around at church and giving to the ongoing work of the church um, and its ministries. Uh, But I guess uh, what stood out for me is that it's something that we don't discuss openly very regularly. And I'm thinking about particularly our younger listeners um, who, you know, might be, you know, starting to go into the workforce and, and think about maybe what does tithing mean in their spiritual practice and in their spiritual journey. Um, and so I wanted to have an opportunity for us to kind of 
unpack that. And and so a number of questions came up for us on Slido around this. Um, and so our question is, how is this idea of giving a tenth or a, tri- or a tithe as a tribute um, relatable to our modern day offering or even just our modern day context? Yeah, that's a great question. I um, thought so. Yeah, <laughs> really hard question. <laughs> you know the hard ones. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, look, um, I think the first thing I want to say is actually um, – back to that Levite question, because mm. um, as, as we've already heard, the Levites didn't get that inheritance of land. They, mm. um, their inheritance was the Lord, but they still had to live on something, right? And mm. they still had to, um, you know, feed their children and eat, et cetera, et cetera. And so the, the rest of Israel was commanded to give that tithe, the tenth, mm. the first fruits of their, their flocks, their fields, anything they had, and to, to give it to the temple. And that was actually what the Levites would live on. Mm. Um, they would use that. So it would be sacrificed to God, but it was also like, you know, they didn't have land to farm, yep. you know, apart from their little cottage garden. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that they actually needed that. So um, there was a responsibility for the rest of Israel to supply that that need. Mm. Um, and so they were actually called to live, the Levites were actually called to live in reliance upon God in a really significant way. You know, they didn't have any inheritance of land. Um, you know, their whole life was was caught up in, in just relying on God and His mm. goodness and the obedience of the people. Yeah. Um, and so they lived on this different um, frame of um, just needing, needing God mm. um, because they couldn't do that for themselves because they were busy being in, in their mediatory role. Um, so so that, that idea of the tithe is, is the First Testament, Old Testament idea. But when we transfer it to, to us in the New Testament, Jesus kind of, um, Jesus doesn't deny the tithe, but he actually goes further. Mm. Um, and he, he goes a bit deeper into that. And, and I think the best way we can see how Jesus treats this is, um, is when we look at the story, there's a story in Mark chapter 12 where he's going past the temple and there's a, a widow. And we don't know anything about this widow. She could be young with kids. She could be an old lady. We don't yeah. know. Um, and, and she comes along to the temple and she has these two copper coins, um, which were worth, the Bible tells us, only a fraction of a penny. Mm. And she throws these into the temple treasury and that's her offering that's her 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 gift and jesus um speaks to his disciples and he uses her as a bit of an illustration and says this this woman this widow um has given more than anybody else Mm. more than anybody else you know like people are coming and they're giving out of their abundance Mm. uh and they're giving their you know what the law requires them to do but she is giving out of her 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 desperation this is all she has and yet she's giving it over to god and Mm. he commends her and we hear about her two thousand years later Mm. for that generous and and giving spirit um not only is she giving to god but it's also showing a reliance on god Mm. that that only God can supply her need. Only God can give her what she needs. Um, and so, so that's probably um, not, a, not a tithe. That's actually an act of sacrifice and an act of generosity and an act of obedience on her behalf. And it's also saying to God, I need you. I need you, God. So, so the idea of a tithe, Jesus actually mixes that up a bit yeah, for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you hear him where I'm going yeah, with that? Yeah, there's like, there's a <laughs> yeah. conviction piece in there <laughs> oh as well. Gosh, oh Classic God. Jesus. Oh like. my gosh, exactly, exactly. And so all these people, you know, like, you know, if, if you're super wealthy and you're giving 10%, you know, it may be no skin off your nose. You might not mm. even notice it gone, you know. Um, and Jesus kind of puts 
a challenge on us to yeah. say, well, let's let's give generously. Let's give um, what we have decided in our hearts to give, the scripture mm. goes on to say. So it's not about a blank 10% that we have to give to God. It's actually, what is God asking you to do yep. out of out of what God has given you? Because mm. Everything you have comes from the Lord, right? Yeah. You know, there's nothing that God hasn't given you. Yeah. Um, everything you have comes from God. So what are you going to give back to God? Mm. What's God asking you to do? For some people, they could literally tithe or give 90% and be fine. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, some people, to give 10% would send them to bankruptcy yeah. court. And so as Christians, we actually have to have a different relationship mm. um, with with the tithe mm. um, to, to give stuff to God. Um a thing that I always remember, because I love my little expressions, it's the only way I remember stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but but the thing that I've I've read on a church sign once is is give God what's right, not what's left. And you remember it because it's like right hand, left hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you getting it? Yeah, yeah. I'm picking up <laughs> picking on it. Up. I see. Okay, but it's it's give God what is right. You know what mm. what is right for you to give God. Mm. Don't give him of your leftovers. Don't give him what's mm. left in your bank balance at the end of the day. Give God first the first fruits. What do you have decided? to give mm. out of all that the Lord has given you. Yeah. Um, and so when we talk about tithes and offerings, you know, that 10% is kind of a, a, a baseline. It's, mm. not, it's not the cap yeah. uh, and it's not the ceiling. Yeah. It's, it's a suggestion. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Because I think with, with money, um, money shows us what we value and what we trust. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and we often talk about, you know, put your, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. But I think we actually put our money where our heart is. Mm. Um, and I think when we, when we decide to, to say to God, God, this is, you know, this is yours. Everything I have is yours. What do you want yeah. me to give in this space? Mm. What am I going to commit to? Then I think that's a whole different conversation. And it actually yeah. will help us in our, in our discipleship practice, in our relationship with God, in our trust, mm. like the Levites, in our reliance yeah. of God. So it's an opportunity to yeah. actually deepen our our faith absolutely and yeah. what i love from go figure like i knew that this was going to come like <laughs> yeah. learning from the old testament i knew the second that i said it i was like oh you're setting yourself up yeah, exactly but you know i love that you know we're called to be like the levites in the sense of we need to trust god and trust that mm. he will provide but i think there's also an invitation from the perspective of the other 11 tribes yeah. like that it was an act of obedience and mm-hmm. devotion to god that they had a responsibility yeah. to see that the levi the tribe of levi was was cared for and that that was an expression of their faithfulness to god so like it's no matter where you're sitting, um, mm. there's there's a lesson to learn in terms of your spiritual practice when it comes to mm. to the tithe. Common, what do you have to add in on this? Well, um, yeah, just kind of diving back into the First Testament as well, and 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 actually, I love that you've picked that up. That idea that it's you know it's about kind of uh, being responsible, and but it you know it, it actually was part of covenant practice. So covenant mm. practice said, you know, give the tithe and and that was a kind of that was part of being in relationship with god that was part of being in this covenant with god was to be obedient to that and actually you know one of the kind of classic passages around this is in malachi 3 verse 10 again in the first testament more stuff for us to learn from there um and uh and it's where malachi the prophet malachi is charged with speaking to uh, the people of god and say look and actually kind of strongly convicting them that you need to bring the whole tithe into the storehouse because mm. um, they were withholding parts of that and 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 yeah and the people of God were suffering like the 
kind of extended people have got yeah. the suffering as a result of it. And it was a and it was a call. This particular passage actually talks about God's blessing, goes on to talk about how, you know, you need to do this because you're breaking covenant by mm. not doing it. But also it's a kind you are also uh, demonstrating your lack of trust in me and, you, mm. and the lack of trust in my provision. And God talks about opening the floodgates yeah. um, of his provision as a result of being obedient in that way. And I think that that's a really important kind of uh, message for us. And the reason I think it's important is that is this, is that we often believe that idols are passive. And I think, you know, when you kind of look at uh, the golden calf, you think, okay, well, it was an inanimate object. The, go yep. the golden calf um, was an idol and it's passive. And I, I believe that um, we're in danger when we think that idols are passive because mm. they, are, they are activated by the work of the enemy, the work of the devil in mm. our world. And um, idols have power to draw us away from yeah. God because of their kind of insidious subtlety. Mm. And, and actually what God was uh, inviting the people in, you know, in Malachi uh, to do is to, tr to trust him. But more than that, to not be deceived that their security, and as Rox has talked about, their security could be found in anything else. Yeah. And when we choose to give of our first fruits, which is another way of talking about you know, kind of tithing, and, mm. um, you know, and we choose to say, okay, I'm going to set aside a proportion of uh, the money that I've earned and yeah. recognizing that all good gifts come from God. Mm. We are more than just uh, supporting the people of God. We are more than just kind of being obedient with covenant relationship, but we're actually taking a stand against the work of the enemy to deceive us mm. in believing that we can secure ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that's a really important discipline for us because... Mm. You know, spiritual disciplines can feel like, okay, these are the rules and regulations I've got to do because uh, that's what makes me a better Christian. Yeah, but the they box. are actually yeah. the things that bring us freedom mm. because they are the things that help us move away from the insidious trust of money, which mm. will fail us, mm. which you will never have enough. Mm. You will never be able to secure yourself in it. Yeah. And it moves us towards recognizing, do you know what? I have some money uh, and God provides for my needs. Yeah. And I am able to live in abundance and richness and fullness mm. because uh, I'm released from securing myself in money, but actually I'm securing myself in God's provision mm. and, and God's desire to give us our daily bread. Mm. Do you know what I was thinking of as you were just speaking then was this idea of, um, and I guess this is what you were talking about as well, Rox, where um, like our heart comes from from our heart uh, sorry our money comes from our heart um, where we use it um, in the sense of because if I'm if I'm trusting that God will provide for the things that I need which draws me closer to him then actually I think that will also change my perspective of what I need mm -hmm. and I'll stop relying so much on what the world tells me I need to have a fruitful valuable worthy life and actually be more aligned with what God calls um, the type of life and full life that he promises for me. Whereas if my, um, 
if I, I give my my resources, whether that's my money or my time, my attention, um, my devotion, if I give that to things of the world because I don't trust that God will provide, if I take control of that, then I'm just going to reinforce in my life the messages from the world, from the enemy, mm. that tell me, actually, no, it's these things that you need, mm. not the things of God that won't satisfy. Yeah. And so it's this perpetuating cycle wherever, it, like it really is, wherever you put your whatever idol you have mm. in your life mm. it will it will determine the type of life that you live mm. yeah. um which is outrageously simple i know mm. to say but i don't know it's an important reminder and yeah. i think mm. you know this this practice can really help affirm where where our devotion is and the type of life that yeah. we're going to Live. Oh, treasures in heaven, huh? Mm-hmm. Amen. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. <laughs> yeah. Somebody very famous said that. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff, guys. Thanks for that. That's awesome. Uh, let's move into question three. Uh, so, I guess coming back to the passage that you unpacked for us on Sunday, rocks. Obviously, there's a lot of language and imagery around Jesus and this role of him being the ultimate high priest. And this is something that the author of Hebrews has spent a lot of time reinforcing for us and and really um, making clear that this is a significant role and something that... Um, that, that Jesus offers us, this whole idea of he's our mediator between God, um, he is our intercessor, that he kind of is the bridge um, over the gap of, of us and our Heavenly Father. And what came about in the passage um, that you preached out of on Sunday was this idea that he's an eternal high priest, that he will always be working in that role, always be interceding for us. And something that that stood out for me and, and definitely came through in the questions um, from the sermon is, I guess, a bit of a tension because that idea of Jesus's role kind of being ongoing seems slightly at odds with other um, other descriptions of Jesus's role and what he has done, what he has fulfilled through his death and resurrection. And what I'm talking about is this idea that, you know, Jesus paid the price for sin once and for all, that, you know, the chains of sin have been broken, we've been set free, um, we've been washed of sin, um, it no longer has power in our lives. And so that very much feels like a definitive, it's done, you know, it, lock and loaded, like victory has occurred. And yet that seems kind of to create a tension with this idea that but the role of Jesus is continuing and ongoing as the high priest. And ultimately that is exactly where our question, our final third question lands for us. If we have been totally forgiven and washed clean by the blood of Christ, why do we need, still need a mediator or an intercessor for all eternity? Great question. Great question. <laughs> I've got to admit, I, like when I first yeah. read it, I'm like, man, that's a fourth question. Like that's a special. That's that's not that's a big special three. Podcast. That's the big 3,000. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, as I tend to do, I'm like, oh, that'll be fine. <laughs> put the Throw it in. Put the coordinator under that one. Yeah. <laughs> you got this. Thanks. <laughs> Am I the Reverend Dr. Mark Rader? No. no um, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> well, give it a whirl, hey? Um, look, I find that um, it is a it is a big it's a big mm. question, as we've joked about. Um, we're kind of not there yet in, in Hebrews as well. Mm. So there's, there's a couple of passages that are actually going to address this later on. Like um, Hebrews 10 talks about this, um, about what Jesus is doing yeah. sort of um, now. Um, 
which I find might, might give us a little bit of light, if that's okay. I might just jump into that. It's actually Hebrews 10, um, 12 and to 14. And it says, When this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the, the right hand of God, mm. which is what you've said. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, you, you spoke about, you know... This is um, the tension. This is the tension, yeah. <laughs> well, made perfect forever. So he has, he has um, you know, been the sacrifice for the sins. He's mm. been the, the high priest, uh, the eternal priest in the order of Melchizedek. So he's not even a Levite. He's just beyond that and above that and yep. greater than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has made us, um, he has made us um, perfect. He has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. But, but Hebrews has a different kind of... Um, vibe to the rest of the the New Testament in that it's always talking about us being made perfect, this Mm. process of sanctification, you know, that we are sure, you know, like we're we're saved and we're secure and we've got an eternal future and a destiny Mm. and we're, you know, priesthood of all believers, all of that, but we're actually on this process where we are constantly being changed even in our talks about um you know our tithe that we just talked about how that changes our hearts we're Mm. in this ongoing process um i just want to refer back to something else mark's talked about which was the the pilgrim's progress analogy Mm. like that this is old story um it's great old book um, about how Christian actually receives salvation. He, he has this giant burden on his back of the mm. burden of sin and shame and guilt and he lays it down at the cross and he receives salvation but on the way in the book he still has to go through all these trials and, yeah. and, and you know go through swamps and up mountains and, mm. and that's the process that we are undergoing and so Jesus is sitting at the, the right hand of God um, he's, he's sacrificed and he is still making us holy through that. Mm. And, and he can do that because he is eternal. He has defeated death. He mm. is he's not um, like the Levites who, who lived and they, they died and they were replaced and that yep. one lived and died <laughs> and that one was replaced and they had to continually sacrifice the blood of bulls and goats mm. and, and over and over again. Jesus is completely above that and other. Mm. Um, and he is now sitting at the, the right hand of God, continually making us holy and before we stand in front of him. Um, I love this whole... Um, this part about since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool Um, (laughs) because that's actually the first part of the psalm that Mm. we looked at on Sunday. Um, So Psalm 110 is is this psalm that Jesus himself quotes. I don't want to re-preach a sermon here. (laughs) But (laughs) But I'm going to. Exactly. (laughs) But um, this is just the best psalm because it talks about, um, Jesus quotes it. He says, you know, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand Mm. until I make your enemies a footstool, yeah, and um, and then it goes on to say you're a high priest, you're a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Mm. Um, so Jesus actually identifies and says, yeah, I'm 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 waiting, I'm waiting till the end of time. You know, we've got work to do, church. I'm 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 alive, I'm risen, I have sacrificed, I'm sitting at the right hand of God, and and while you guys are on the earth and and I'm in heaven, I am mm. interceding for you. I am the one who who when you come to me with your troubles and your day and your yeah. what's been going on in your life, I'm talking to God on your behalf, mm. and I'm 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 still doing that priestly work. I'm making you more perfect, more holy yeah. as we go on. Now. When Jesus returns mm. and, and everything is, is ended and, and mm. eternity is wrapped up in a giant bow and, <laughs> <laughs> and we're, with, we're with Jesus in, in glory forever, yeah. um, the question of is he still the priest? 
Is that the question that you're you're thinking? Because oh gosh, I don't even know. Well, that just goes even that goes bigger really and deep <laughs> because that's uh, that goes into territory which um, we would call the Aryan controversy, and it talks about the eternal, um, yeah, um, yeah. The, the way the Trinity works. It's yeah, all about yeah. it. Is God, you know, superior to Jesus for all time? Yada, yada. Don't really want to go there. No. That's a whole uh, other That's podcast. scary. That's that, terrifying. Yeah, that yeah, hurts yeah. my brain just yeah. even thinking yeah. about that question. Right. <laughs> <It's great. laughs> so, <laughs> so common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so go to Bible college with that answer. Yeah. Uh, what are your reflections on this, mate? Well, just with the Aryan yeah. controversy, in short, basically about is it the the godliness of Jesus? Yeah. Essentially, mm. you know, was he fully God? And yeah. uh, and there's plenty of resources out there if you want to read more about <laughs> that. And maybe that is a fourth question yeah. for us to touch yeah. on. I just want to say day. like yeah. yes, but with a question mark, like yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I love yeah. I love what Rox has talked about, and I like I, I really agree with that. And you know, essentially at the heart of this question is um, the kind of is process the process and mm. i think in some ways it's you know it's actually it's the process of justification you know mm. and the the thing the the sentence or the phrase i guess that i find the most helpful way of thinking about this is that uh the mediator jesus lives on but he doesn't go on sacrificing and yeah. the sacrifice is done for all time all sufficient mm. it it has kind of uh done what needed to be done in order to remove our sins. And, um, but yet Jesus lives on. And the reason that Jesus lives on is because relationship lives on. Because mm. the sacrifice, it wasn't just a thing that needed to happen, a moment in time, um, you know, and, and that's it. And then, you know, the, the kind of the, the need for Jesus is, is eradicated. Yeah. You know, that, that, that's not it. Like, mm. actually, what the whole purpose mm-hmm. of sacrifice is to restore relationship. Yeah. And relationship carries on, and and that is what we're invited into, and and so yes, Jesus maintains his high priestly role mm. because he is maintaining a relationship between us and God, and um, you know, and and that's a work that is also carried on by the Holy Spirit, and yeah. and you know, obviously the Holy Spirit was involved in that uh, that work um, between Jesus and God in his time on earth mm. as well, and and I think so that that idea that you know, the power of Jesus' sacrifice, um, you know, there's no diminishing of that. Mm. It was it was done in that moment. But but actually relationship con- continues on. And but we we are also in this kind of continuing process of justification, you know, kind of being declared right before God. And yeah. and ultimately, you know, the book of Revelation twenty uh Chapter twenty, verse twelve, talks about us coming before another throne, mm. which I, and that imagery has already come up for us in the book of Hebrews. Uh, com- talks about us coming before the white throne and giving account for the things that we have done in our lives yeah. that are recorded in another of the books. And um, and and so, you know, I still want Jesus there yeah. <laughs> at that moment. Um, you know, actually declaring me righteous before yeah. God. And you know, and a lot of the Christian faith requires us to hold this tension between mm. the now and the not yet. And, you know, the things that have begun but are are not yet uh, finished. Mm. And, you know, like I have this... <laughs> 
weird analogy about time, which I think is actually a helpful way of us thinking about these sorts of things, because we obviously come to the Bible and we come to our understanding of the work of Jesus through a kind of time linear thing. That's something that actually, you know, like we're programmed to think mm. about. There's things happening in kind of chronological order and an order of events. Yeah. Now, I've got no biblical backing for this. I only offer this as an illustration <laughs> because what a caveat. <laughs> I, I found this to be a helpful way about thinking about God in relation to time. Hmm. And um, I imagine time like uh, it's happening in a spiral in the center of an, like a fried egg, in the yolk of a fried egg. And that actually uh, when we move out of time so when we die or um you know or or the world kind of reaches its end and mm. and we move into that time of judgment that rather than kind of coming to a a point on a line we actually just pass out into the kind of the white of that fried egg and mm. so actually time is existing here uh, and, and it needs we need it in order for the kind of the world to be in order yeah. but uh but when we we die, or you know, or the, the kind of we, we reach the day of judgment. The end of the world comes. Um, we move out of that yoke and into the white, mm. and and that then allows this concept for those who have died millennia ago, uh, and us dying at whatever point we die, yeah. to happen actually kind of at the same time, um, and we pass out of this yoke and into the white. And actually, um, so so those that idea of you know, the kind of all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus, it kind of happens at the same time for everyone throughout all of history. Mm. And we are, we are moving out of the kind of constructs of, of our earthly time mm. and into the white, which is kind of God's time. And I, I don't know if that's helpful for you, but, but that moves, <laughs> I think what's helpful and important for us is to kind of crack open, pardon the pun. Oh, I loved um, that. That was beautifully uh, placed. I didn't uh, even plan that. I'm uh, sure you didn't. Um, <laughs> To crack open our our perception of, of time, and I know, mm. and that's very hard. Yeah. And you know, I don't want to kind of bend people's brains, but but actually, seeing God's work outside of time is a really helpful thing mm. for us because it helps us to understand, you know, God is not constrained by that, and yeah. that this this work of Jesus is done. Um, kind of almost at the same time for everyone. Mm. Um, and, and, and therefore, we don't have this kind of weird tension of, oh, is Jesus going on sacrificing? Yeah. But actually, no, it's, it's done. And, that, and it was done at that moment. Mm. And, and we kind of, uh, and it's all sufficient. It's outside of time. Mm. And it's not bound by the timeliness of that. Yet mm. it's still deeply significant for our kind of yeah. relationship with God. And, and it's because of his sinless perfection in that because you know his um you know he was he became a priest not because of lineage but because of his appropriateness for the role mm. and and you know that he was without sin that means that this sacrifice is all sufficient for us yeah. and and now he mediates the relationship and that's the kind of ongoing part mm. that we you know we live in and we mm. explore and mm. and we enjoy mm. Mm. Wow. Like, I'm sorry. My brain, my brain hurts. Like, okay. let's let's be real. But I think what time traveling is real. Future <laughs> Matt's going to come and yeah. make it all oh, okay. Gosh. It's all just my mind's just spinning. But I think like what what I'm taking from this as my little nugget, my little nugget, <laughs> is that I think like I I do think that we try to we do try and simplify and really 
um, create a, a, a degree of structure around the plan of God, which transcends our understanding and our world. Um, but the invitation remains the same to trust what, the message of Jesus was and what he promised and the promises of God and what he has done and achieved. And so although we may not be able to, you know, fully grasp the fried egg analogy, which is fine, um, we can know and trust that Jesus has conquered sin Mm. And that he continues to work um, and and intercede for our benefit with um, with our heavenly Father to to restore our relationship with him. Mm. Um, and how and when in time and space that occurs, yeah. we may not fully grasp, but we can trust that it is happening mm. and that it is through his grace and love that it occurs. Mm. Yeah. I'm taking that. Yeah. It's good. It's good. Okay. It's good. For all time. For all For time. All time. Exactly. No, let's leave the time. No, no more time. Um, guys, thank you so much. Big questions, hard questions, but have loved your reflections right. on all of them. Thanks thank so you. much. It's been a joy. If you want to be a part of the conversation, make sure that you join us for our online services this Sunday at gbconline.org.au and that you snap the Slido QR code before the sermon to get involved. Just a reminder for those of you who are listening to our podcast today, we're also now filming The Big Three and it goes to air on Wednesday nights at 7pm at GBC Online. If you've enjoyed The Big Three today, be sure to give us a star rating and subscribe so that you can stay up to date with all future episodes. Thanks for joining us for this week's Big Three and our deep dive into God's invitation for us all. Remember, there's no thought too small, no question too big.